Okay, so we are starting the book of First Kings. You could do a new thing in your life, like, I don't know, read ahead, because that's what Calvary Chapel people do. So you got another opportunity. Go home, reread First Kings 1 and 2 if you haven't read it, and then just read ahead each week. It will be awesome. Hey, we brought uh, Second Samuel to a close. David was buying the threshing floor so he could... Build an, offer, build an altar there and offer sacrifices to his God for his sin. Remember, Aruna tries to give it to David, but David said, what? Mm-mm, no can do. I'm not going to worship God unless it costs me something. Pretty incredible spiritual principle to David's life there. So as we come to 1 Kings, David's body is shot. He's given God everything. Yes. He's given his all plus some. It's all been in his service to the Lord. I was thinking as we were worshiping my friend Andy. I mean, he was like me. He was working. God called him. He was a youth pastor. And then he went out and planted. And now he's given the Lord everything in his body shot. And he gave it all in service to the Lord. I can't think of a better place to be. David's, some guess he's around 70 years old. And his life and lifestyle has taken a huge toll on this man after God's own heart. Because see, it wasn't like he was just out doing stuff. No, it was always for the Lord. There's a big difference. Wearing your body out for the Lord or just wearing it out because you're just doing your thing. And, and so here David is, he's worn out, seeking to be the man after God's own heart. And think of all the battles that he's waged. He's done more than multiple men. And now it's his time to come home and enter into what you and I would know in the Old Testament as Abraham's bosom. We can see that in the end of Luke chapter 16. So David is presently in a place where he doesn't even have enough circulation to keep his blood moving. So this is where we are right here in 1 Kings 18, or 1 Kings chapter 1. Now, King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. So his circulation was shutting down. I know the second week after my surgery, man, I couldn't get warm for nothing. My whole circulation system was shutting down. No amount of blankets was going to keep David warm in his last days. Verse 2, therefore, his servant said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, who we're going to believe becomes a concubine, be sought for our Lord the king and let her stand before the king and let her care for him. And let her lie in your bosom that our Lord the King may be warm, and I add, and be comfortable in your last days. There are historians that write that this was a common medical practice of the day. I don't know if that's true. That's just what they wrote. But I do know this. If me and my wife were stuck in a, in a snowbank in a, in a car, all we'd have to do is get together and we'd melt the snow. Sorry, hon, it's true. but <laughs> So I understand what they're seeking to, to do here from my own personal experience. So they sought out a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. Please don't confuse this Shunammite with the Shulamite from Song of Solomon. Some have different names. The very young, or the young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her, as in he did not know her sexually, as she seeks to take care of and look after, and really, literally, become a human blanket 
to the king. However, that's only one problem the king is facing in his dying days. If you've read ahead, can someone say bad rerun? If you haven't read ahead, humor me. Say bad rerun. <laughs> then Ananai, verse 5, the son of Haggith exalted himself. Guess, guess who else Haggith had as a son? Starts with an A. Ends with an M. Three syllables. Well, you guys are quite sharp tonight. Then uh, uh, exalted himself, saying, I... And notice who's exalted himself here? Who, who's exalted himself here? He is. And he's saying, I will be king. You should underline that and just know that every time you think or you do that, you're just playing wrong. Whenever you're going to exalt yourself. Promotion always comes from the Lord and never from man. Psalm 75 proves that out in such a big way. Every time you seek to be the big kahuna, the El Jefe, or the big cheese in charge, God is going to humble you so you yourself have problems, and he'll do it in whatever way he wants to. We read in 1 Peter 5, 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Because God is on record that he will exalt those and yet he will humble those. Verse 5, Then Adonai, Adonai, who was going to promote himself like his brother tried, the son of Haggith, one of David's wives, and now the older son, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. It's pretty positive. you got that whole hyper-Pentecostal thing, name it, claim it thing going down. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, and 50 men, count that, 50 men. Hmm. Okay, notice he doesn't have a David's mighty man. How quick do you think those 50 men will croak? Uh, faster than you could say, they're dead. And he has 50 men to run before him, and his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? Still a bad parent. Might have been the man after God's own heart, but he's still a bad parent. Adonai was also very good-looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. So her and David make good-looking babies with traitor hearts and self-seeking in them. And I don't know, maybe the mom here is just big into self-esteem. Maybe, you know, you're going to be the king someday. You are so good-looking. Wow, you, I mean, and that's certainly the fruit of self-love where life is just all about me. And yet that's death to the Christian. This is probably another reason why Solomon wrote all the Proverbs about disciplining your children. One like a child left to himself will bring reproach to his mother. Discipline your son and deliver his soul from hell. Or my personal favorite, I think it's Proverbs, no, I don't remember anymore, but foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and a rod of correction will drive it far from them. Solomon wrote all those. Why? Because, well, it just didn't seem to happen in his home. <coughs> then he... Verse 7, as he takes a page out of his dead brother's playbook, who tried the exact same thing and failed, conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, different players, same MO, the priest, and they followed and helped Ananiah. So, so Ananiah has another self-appointed man here. Remember David said, whoever attacks the Jebusites shall be my chief and shall be my captain. Who was that who attacked the Jebusites? Jerusalem. Who was that? Starts with the J, ends with the B, has two vowels in the middle. Joab. So, so 
David said, hey, whoever's going to go and do this will be my king. So Joab went up first and he became chief. So in a sense, he is self-appointed. So these two guys are both self-appointed in one way. David's fading off the scene and maybe Joab and Abiathar, they want an inside position. So they hook up with Adonai. But why does Joab and Abiathar do this? That's always the question. Well, I think the same reason everybody does. Bitterness. That's why. Certainly that's my first suggestion. They could easily both have issues towards David that they've been holding on to all these years. Remember, Joab was demoted once, so then he goes out and kills the general, gets his position back. And Abiathar, maybe he thinks he deserves to be high priest and not Zodak, Zadak. And so they've been waiting to strike back and war against their boss or maybe a little hostile takeover. You gotta understand, this is a takeover driven and directed by man. They always are. So we all know when the Lord's involved how well these things are always gonna turn out, but they always are driven by man. Now, man sometimes thinks they're being driven by God, but whenever it's divisive, it is always driven by man. Always, always, always. Verse 8. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehodia, one of the mighty men that went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed the lion. Remember that guy? Nathan the prophet, Shimei, not to be confused with the rock thrower, you know, the guy throwing the dust in the air, Chris and David. Ray, or Re, only mentioned here, so we don't really know nothing other than he's a loyal follower of David. And the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonai. Okay, so whose team you want to be on? Adonai or the old David guy that's about ready to croak? Right? I want to be on the team that has David's old mighty men on it. Why? Because David's old mighty men are old, but I can guarantee you they still swing a sword, and I can guarantee you they had children. And I can guarantee you they didn't wait, raise no bookworms. Nothing wrong about bookworms, but I doubt if their, their kids were soft. So on team A, you have Adonai and two men wanting to make a name for themselves or wanting to get even, and 50 men running before them. And on team B, you still have, after all these years, David's mighty men. What a great picture of discipleship. Everything they've went through, they're still here, even at his death. Well, you already know how the movie's going to end, right? We don't even have to go through this. And Ananias sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened calf, cattle by the stone of Zoleth, which is by Enrogel, which will be his last meal. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. I'm hoping none of them knew Solomon had already been appointed by David. I'm assuming none of the brothers know that. But he did not invite everybody. He did not invite Nathan, the prophet, Benaniah, the mighty man. That should have been like a dead... Hey, where's all the mighty men? Oh, you know, they were all busy. Oh, that should have been a dead giveaway. And they didn't invite Solomon. Hey, where's Solomon? So this guy's a true politician, right? Only those who would support him were called. So Nathan, because he knows David has some serious parenting issues, like lack thereof, spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Ananiah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it, or has chosen not to look at it or address it as in times past, but... Here it says he's out of touch of what's going on in his kingdom. It seems like maybe Bathsheba is too. And David, our Lord, does not know it. Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son, 
Solomon. Because that's what new kings would do. They would kill everyone who poses a threat to their new kingdoms. Bathsheba, you and Solomon, they're dead. They didn't get invited to the party. So go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Have we seen that? Really? I don't think we have. I'm sure you've read it somewhere, but we haven't seen it yet. When you read the parallel passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we'll get there. That's where it is. That's where David was to make Solomon the next king. And it seems that everyone knew that if they wanted to believe it. So go into King David and say, why then has Adonai become king? Then while you're still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words that by the mouth of two witnesses, everything can be confirmed. Excuse me. Now, keep in mind that this Nathan the prophet is probably the same prophet that God has God used in busting David on his sin of adultery and murder with Bathsheba. And, and, and we haven't seen him since then. I'm sure he's always been loyal to David, but he hasn't just, we haven't seen him. And, and maybe the man of God is resorting to this crazy move because the way the king David was towards his sons. Towards his sons, I don't know. We've seen that when it comes to his son, he's very slow to move, or he never moved. And maybe Nathan is being directed by God here, or maybe he just knows how David is towards his son and he's seeking to save the right lives because the right lives are God's lives. Because see, Nathan knows what the Lord spoke earlier about who's going to be king. Certainly if you've read ahead, this incredible picture of second chances and the grace of God is going to bring forth two of Bathsheba's sons that the Messiah will come into the world by, both by genealogies, one in Matthew, Joseph's line, through Solomon. So certainly he needs to stay alive. And in the Gospel of Luke, Matthew's line through Nathan, the son of Bathsheba. So he needs to stay alive. So Bathsheba and her sons need to, need to stay alive. So if we step back and look into the spiritual world, we can see the devil is behind all of this, seeking to stop the Messiah from coming into the world, if you peel it back and look in. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was serving the king, seeking to keep him warm. But really also showing us the king needed trusted people like Nathan and others around him, you know, to, that were on his team. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? Then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant. Assuredly, we saw... We saw that. We will see that in First Chronicles 22. Chronologically, it's already happened. Uh, then she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Surely Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonai has become king. Really? Yeah, that's what it says. And now, my Lord the king, you do not know about it, or you just ignored it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattle fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And no doubt they would be. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet, who 
we have not heard of, like I said, since the confrontation with David, makes a reappearance and he comes in and he's standing before his old friend. I mean, all of this is choreographed perfectly. So they told the king, saying, here is Nathan the prophet, as Bathsheba obviously exits with a little wink at Nathan, maybe. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground, and Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said, Adonai shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance, and he has invited all the king's sons, all of them. So maybe Nathan was invited. And the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live, long live King Adonai. Of course, he's not going to make it through the day. But he has not invited me, me your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehodiah, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Are you changing things up, David, and not, well, you just haven't told us? It's kind of how Nathan signs off here. Now, again, as I look at this, I got to hope that Nathan's directed by God to work this way. See, the problem I have, though, if you look back at verse 12, it says, come, please, let me give you advice. Now, is that advice he's heard from the Lord? It's not worded that way. And see, the reason I bring this up is we know Solomon was God's pick from birth. He doesn't, God doesn't need man's help. If you remember back when he was born, David named him Solomon, and it says the Lord loved him. You can go back and check it out. God also sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet to call his name Jedidiah, which means beloved of God. And we'll also see, because I want you to turn to it right now, just spin ahead, 1 Chronicles chapter 22, you're going to see this. Way before David is old and in need of Abishag, in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 7, we will find the following here. You guys got it? 1 Chronicles 22, 7. Just get out of the kings and you're going to run right into it. 1 Chronicles 22, 7. Okay, this is what, even though we haven't got to the book yet, trust me, it's way before David died. And David said to Solomon, notice he's not sick, dying on his deathbed. And David said to Solomon, my son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I'll be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. That's God's plan. Because God has set that in order, and no son is going to ever mess that up. So I have to hope that Nathan's plan here was God's plan and not his own. But not being sure of that, I know that we all know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to to his purposes. So even if man gets in the way, seeking to help God out, God can still work there. So like I mentioned before, this is a great picture of God bringing beauty out of the ashes of David and Bathsheba's sin because they're the ones that are going to bring the Messiah forward. It's pretty amazing. You know, you think, oh, I've done something. I'm never going to get to heaven. Okay, well, you're biting onto the wrong piece of fruit. You know, you're biting on the devil's fruit. Okay, great picture here. 
as their next as the next king is going to be their son. Verse 28, back where we were. Then King David, whose body must be might be failing, but whose mind and military order is sharp as can be answered and said, call Bathsheba to me because she walked out when Nathan walked in. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king and the king took an oath and said, as the Lord lives. Uh, anybody have a time limit on when he's going to die? Not one, right? As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. It's a great word there. I really just have to think about it before we move on. The benefits of being a child of God, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. I hope we all know that. This is all privilege here. That's why you don't have to worry about anything. That's why Robert doesn't have to worry. That's why Andy doesn't have to worry. That's why nobody has to worry. Because it's privilege. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. If you're not his child, yeah, you're in tough luck. If you are his child, he will redeem you from every distress. All you got to do is look up and enjoy the ride. Let his grace be sufficient for you. But he'll never force you. He'll let you struggle, do it your own way. Your choice, not his. As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, probably back when he was amassing riches for Solomon to build the temple, if you go back and read the passage in Chronicles, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do that this day. So, see, in David's heart and mind, even though his life is failing, this commitment was always going to be to Solomon. Then Bathsheba bowed uh, with her face to the earth and paid homage to the king and said, Let my lord, King David, live forever. That's a nice thought. She doesn't believe it. I mean, the reason she's there is because She's seeking to get her son the next kingship because King David is dying. But, you know, it's a nice thought. And King David said, call to me Zadok the priest. Okay, we're going to have a little anointing. Nathan the prophet, we're going to have someone declaring God's truth. And Benaniah the son of Jehoiada to protect them all and make sure it comes to pass. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, remember, he's dying. His circulation system is shutting down, but not his brain. The king also said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. That would be down to the springs where Jerusalem's water comes from. No doubt there'd be a lot of other people there as well. They're like Zadok, common people. They're like Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him. And he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah, just like he had said years earlier. Then Benaniah, the son of Joetta, answered the king and said, Amen. And I like this about this fighter here. When he says, may the Lord God of, may the Lord God of my Lord, the king, say so too. I like that. It's not the prophet of the priest. But he's the man that came in rugged and walked with King David and his God. And here he is. May the Lord God of my Lord, the King, say so too. And it's discipleship. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. I like this man. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherith, and the Pelite, 
those are those are all those big tough rough guys that came with David. Extra protection. They went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule. Now, the thing to keep in mind, only kings rode on the mule. So kind of call it the inaugural parade, if you will. You know, they're gonna he's gonna ride it down and ride it back up. If you don't like that, okay, it's a big limousine with big bulletproof windows, okay? And he took him to Gihon, and Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tabernacle. Your Bible may say A. I don't think there's two, there was one. That would be the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointing Solomon. And they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! Of course, they weren't quiet when they said that. And so they yelled, Long live King Solomon, just like King David had ordered. And all the people went up after him. All the people down there getting water, and all the people with them, and the, you know, the bodyguards, and the mighty men, and, and the, the double eight team. And they all went up after him, and the people played the flutes, and Rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. It was like an earthquake. Um, if you've ever wondered where the saying, uh, snooze you lose, comes from, that's right here. Because see, Adonijah is doing the correct method of seeking to be king by holding the fees, inviting the proper people, and having the proper protocol, having the silver on the right side, and the, you know, the knife and the spoon on this side, and having the cups. He's doing everything perfect. But David doesn't end around, around all the hoopla. And he just does the important things like anointing Solomon king before the Lord. So David's bypassing all of that ceremony, going for the big fat score. Simple directions here by the king. Anoint him with oil, blow the horn, give a big shout, put him on my mule, have him ride into Jerusalem, and then sit on my throne. Straightforward, fast, and effective. How do I know that? Oh, verse 41. Now Adonai and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. They haven't even finished their meal yet. They've already been down eating. So the word comes to David. Hey, David, this is what's going on. He's got, they're down there having their feast. Boom, 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 boom. It's done. David didn't mess around. Or David's men didn't mess around. I like the look. He says something, boom, it's done. This tells me that King David's men acted very quickly. Now when they heard it, as they finished eating, when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is this city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonai said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man and you bring good news. See, I'm telling you, the guy has major self-esteem issues. Oh, he lived in a, in a, like a utopia bubble. I don't know, maybe he learned it from his mother. Oh, he, you're always a good news guy. Then Jonathan answered and said, Adonijah, no. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. Can you see the guy's face go, oh, self-esteem out bad, bad. <laughs> the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the son of Joanna, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, the big bad Bonites. They'll, they'll put the fear of God in you every time. And they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet had anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the entire city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. Snooze you lose, dude. Good luck trying to get him off there because that is not going to happen. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord, King David, saying, may God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. Also the king said thus, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has given one to sit on my throne this day. 
while my eyes see it. So all the guests who are with Adonai were afraid and they arose and each one went his way quickly with a hoodie pulled over his face so they could get away without being seen. Party's over. Now, if God was into Adonai being king, why is everybody running away? Amazing, isn't it? When trouble hits, you can sure find out who are in it for real and who are in it for something for themselves. May we always be bound together around the person of Jesus Christ and no other. They were bound around a person. A lot of, a lot of church junk happens when people bind themselves around people. Okay, remember Adonai back in verse 5 exalted himself? I suggest to you that everybody else that was at this party was not there because God had put them there, but were there because they were hoping to get a piece of the pie. They were hoping for a chance to be on the winning team. I mean, contrast all these self-appointed people running away at the first sign of trouble to David's 400 mighty men who dug in and held their ground at the first sign of trouble. They never wavered. And as you and I walk out our days, we need to be walking closely with God like this, walking into the center of his will, never wavering. When, when trouble hits, we don't freak out. We just hold our ground. We dig in and we fight. Or we run to the Father and fight. We don't run. I mean, we're Christians. Now, verse 50. Now, Adoniah was afraid of Solomon. Yeah, because Solomon was now king and had a crew, and he was not with his deserted crew that left him before dessert was served. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Typical look. The altar had four horns on it, on the four corners. The general idea at the time was if you were in trouble and, and someone was pursuing you, you'd run in the, to the altar seeking mercy from that which was pursuing you. And it's kind of like, I don't know, if we were playing tag, it's base. Yeah, when you're on base, you can't touch me, I'm free. Well, it's a good base to hang on to for an innocent man. The law never protected a murderer if you hung on to the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonai is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Okay, I won't put you to death by the sword today. How about tomorrow? <laughs> he doesn't say that. But it's interesting that Adonai, who was planning on killing Solomon when he, been, when he became king, is now pleading for mercy from the same guy. Because he would have killed him. And now he wants mercy true picture of the deceitfulness of the heart of man. Verse 52, then Solomon said, if, if is huge here, if it's choices, as he places the outcome upon his older brother, if, and so, you know, I read some commentary, some guys believe Solomon's 20 here. I don't know. I, I looked all over. I looked in Jewish encyclopedia, Jewish history book. I couldn't find it. I just read, found one spot where it said he's 20, so I don't know how old he is. Then Solomon said, if, because he's going to place the outcome upon his older brother here. If he proves himself a worthy man, that's all he has to do. Prove himself a worthy man. Not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So it's all in you, bro. It's all in you. That's what he's doing here. Behave yourself. No problem, brother. A lot of grace and mercy here from his broham that was going to be killed if Adonai succeeded. And yet he says, mess with me, your life will be taken from you. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. Solomon said to him, go to your house. That's almost like go to your room, go to your house, chapter 2. Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong. 
therefore improve yourself a man. So as David reflects back now on his 40 years in office as king and how God has been with David, he's going to give his son some very practical pieces of information. Like, look at this. Be strong, therefore improve yourself a man. Yet, do something. First of all, I got a few problems. Why don't you clean them up and then you can show yourself you are king material. Some would suggest Solomon was a sissy, David was a man's man, leaping over walls, fighting bears and lions, outdoors, scared, or, you know, scarred, strong, rugged warrior. Or Solomon, on the other hand, had grown up in a palace, soft clothes. However, Solomon's going to come out swinging here. If you've read ahead, you know it. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways. Of course, he doesn't do that. To keep his statutes, doesn't do that. His commandments, and he doesn't do that. His judgments, oh, he fails on that too. And his testimonies, yeah, he's going to fail on that too. As it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me. See that big if? If. If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart, with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So the promises to David are good. They're real to his sons. But the sons have to walk in obedience to their God. And if they do, God would bless them. So in order for Solomon to be strong, therefore, and prove, prove yourself a man, he's got to walk in the same step in the, with the same Lord his father David did. And you can sum up this charge that David is giving Solomon in verses 3 and 4 here. You can sum it all up in Psalm chapter 1. So, middle of your Bible, you'll find it. Psalm chapter 1. Got to turn there. I'm going to read it. Psalm chapter 1. So this charge right here, it's, it's like perfectly right out of Psalm chapter 1. So this is what David writes here in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. You know, listen to it. It's ungodly. It's something added into the scripture. It's ungodly. Nor stands in the path of sinners. Why do I want, why do I want to stand there? Bad company corrupts good uh, people. Good character. Nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Yeah, that's always going to make you scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does, he shall prosper. Then godly them, they're not so. They're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Simply put, keep God's word and God will keep you. And that's what Solomon has to do here. That's all he has to do. But, you know, this works for us today. Hey, keep God's word and God's, God, God will, God's will will keep you. And so he says here back in, in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 5, Moreover, you know also what Joab the son of Zariah did to me, and what he did to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He killed anybody else? Comes to mind? Oh, apparently that's not a big deal anymore. And he shed the blood of war in peacetime and put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals that were on his feet. Therefore do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Now, Joab might have been seeking to protect David's kingdom, 
But David saw his actions as acts of war and not as acts of mercy. David saw Joab seeking to protect himself by killing the other generals rather than listening to David. And so Joab had murdered and his son, according to the king here, deserved punishment. And yet he'd killed Abner, Amasa, and Absalom here. But David makes no mention of that. Maybe he's come to terms that that's what needed to be done to Absalom. We're going to see it multiple times. Solomon, prove yourself a man, was the word from the father to the son. Verse 7. But show kindness to the sons of Brazili, the Gileadite. Remember the old friend helped save David's life by using his two sons as part of his spy network when Absalom was seeking to take over? Show kindness to him and let them be among those who eat at your table. Man, that'd be cool. You never go hungry. It'd be like a free pass to Golden Crow. That was always just like down the street. You, could, you didn't have to drive to Conroy. It's just like down the street. You know, like wherever you live, close to school. Yeah, it's Golden Crow. It's walk in, free pass. That's what they're going to get. For so they came to me when I fled from Absalom, your brother, and see you have with you Shimei. That would be the rock and curse thrower. Son of Gera, Benjamite, from Baharam, you know, Saul of the tribe of Benjamin, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahahum. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. So, you know, I couldn't when I came back. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. Wink. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, son? You are a wise man. <laughs> but you are, for you are a wise man and you know what you ought to do to him but bring his gray head down to the grave with blood you know maybe God put Shimei there as a curse was David's first thought but then when David came back into Jerusalem and Shimei came pleading for mercy David granted it and now David's instructing his son to watch this man he has an evil heart just watch him keep your eye on him put him to death if his actions prove unworthy so David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years, seven years he reigned in Hebron and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years. And Solomon sat on the throne of his son, uh, uh, on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Why? Because God had firmly established it through the work of his father David. Interesting ending, huh? To the man after God's own heart, isn't it? Instru instructing the rookie son with some street smarts and exhorting him to follow the ways of the Lord. What else would you want to give your kids? Give them some street smarts and, and say, hey, look, follow the Lord. That's what I'd want. Kids that have grown up in the palace, never grew up in the world, I can instruct them in street smarts way better than anybody else. That's what David does here. Verse 13, the death sentence. Now Adonai, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, He's as dumb as they get. So she said with, and I don't know, I kind of think with Adino right behind her because nobody trusts the guy, you come peaceably. And he says, I come peaceably and I add and stupidly. Uh, remember Solomon had said, if you conduct yourself right, you'd be okay. So he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, because I'm so full of myself, because of my overabounding self-esteem that my mother raised us with, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. And I'm still convinced there's a mighty man right behind her or close by. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. <laughs> Did she laugh? Seriously, she had to at least crack a smile. 
If not, she's extremely shy. You know that the kingdom was mine and that all Israel had set their expectations on me. And all means what? Yeah. That I should reign. Really? Can you say delusional? Hey, this is, I'm telling you, this is the fruit of self-esteem right here. You just keep telling them how great they are and sooner or later they're going to believe it. That's why kids today that get gets B's and C's believe they get straight A's on the report card. They've done the study. The whole thing of self-esteem is so debunked that they do, they've done away with it. But every once in a while, it surfaces. But it's proven. Secular, proven through the school system. Disaster. But guess how old those kids are today that are living that stuff out? 25, 30, and younger? Huh. Interesting. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's. For it was from the Lord. Well, at least he got that right. Okay. Um, can someone say self-centered statement, please? Someone has to say that. Self-centered statement. Okay. First you're saying it was all yours, but now you're saying, uh, uh, but, you know, it was his from the Lord. I'm telling you, the guy's delusional. You know that the kingdom was mine. I would underline that. The kingdom has been turned over. I would underline that. For it was from the Lord. If it's from the Lord, walk away, dude. See, the guys, I don't think he's very bright. But see, this is what pride does to you. It builds you up and causes you to think higher about yourself than you should. And you do stupid things that puff you up at somebody else's expense. I mean, how can something of yours be turned over to your brother when you never had it in the first place? It can't. Maybe Adonai in his exalted state is thinking that he must still be a contender because he's still alive. But the thing we're going to find out about Solomon is that he's not going to make the same mistakes his father did. See, his father didn't really react to problems within the family. But see, Solomon grew up watching these things. Solomon watched and learned from his dad the mistakes his dad had made, how he didn't act, and so, man, he didn't act. It became a problem. Solomon's got this down. Solomon's problem won't be making the mistakes of his dad. We're going to see that his problem is going after foreign women with their foreign gods, like lots of them. 700 wives, 300 concubines, all representing, I believe, a thousand different foreign gods. There may be crossover, but not many. If you're to travel to any Hindu country, um, just any place where Hindu is the prominent religion, how many gods do you think they worship there? Take a guess. Give me a number. Yeah, millions. Millions. That's just one religion. Just one. And that's going to be Solomon's downfall. But looking the other way like his father David did, and man, that ain't going to happen to him. Now I ask one petition of you. This is what he says. Do not deny it. And she said to him, no doubt sarcastically, oh, just say it. Speak your death sentence, dummy. Uh, I mean, I think maybe James and John probably understood this passage. You know, they learned this from Adonai. Remember when they're approaching Jesus? You know, Jesus is towards the end of his ministry, and they want greatness for their lives. Remember what they said to Jesus? We want you to do whatever we ask you. Um, excuse me, James and John. That did not work for Adonai. You don't want to run that. I don't know. Somebody learned it from somebody. So he said, please speak to King Solomon. He knows who's king. For he will not refuse you. I mean, after all, you're his mom. 
that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. Yeah, that's pretty stupid right there. Remember this was David's concubine that was a hot water bottle in his dying days? Remember? Adonai wanted her not because he loved her, but because he loved himself. Because the custom of the nations was, was that when the new king would get would come into power, he'd get the old harem, sleep with them to prove he was in charge. Just like Absalom did with David's concubines. So this, this is what he wants. It's just, I'm telling you, it's the same replay of his older brother who's dead and buried. So not a bright idea. So Bathsheba said, cool. Very well, I will speak for you to the king. I mean, this is one of those videos I want to see in heaven. Like this, you know, because I don't think it's, oh, oh okay. I, I don't think Bathsheba was like totally clueless here. I think she's totally keyed in on what's going on here. I think she knows what's going to happen. She knew what would happen at an eye when she went into the king. I don't think she's so naive. She can't see past his request. So, uh, Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonai, and the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her. You know, he, he's just thinking his mom's coming to, you know, give him a nice little pat on his head or something. And so she sat down on his, on, or he sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat on, at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. <laughs> Can she say that with a straight face? I don't think so. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother. I mean, I won't refuse you. You're my mom. So she said, let Abishag, the Shunammite, and is she laughing right now? It doesn't say. Be given to Adonai, your brother, as, don't say it. Why? <laughs> and King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now, why do you ask Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonai, Adonai? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he's my older brother. For him and for Abiathar, the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonai has not spoken this word against his own life. And that is what pride does to you in the end. It testifies against you and kills you. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonai shall, shall, be, shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by hand, by the hand of Benaniah, the son of Jehodai, and he struck him down and he died. And in this, Solomon starts well. But like in all races, you have to finish well. You have to finish well. You can't just start well and not finish. Adonai was given a second chance, but he didn't finish well. Behave yourself and you will live. Those were the previous words from Solomon. Act foolishly, you're going to die. So he's reaping what he sowed. And to Abiathar the priest, who was a traitor to the king and to the Lord, the king said to Ananoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke. Uh... <laughs> 
spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Remember that? Back in 1 Samuel, the word of the Lord came to Eli and said, Hey, why do you honor your sons more than you honor me? Remember that? Eli wasn't disciplining his sons. He is watching them rip off the people when they brought their sacrifices. And thus, they were acting as God's priests. They were abusing the people and abusing the ministry. And God told Eli, you will never have a son sit on as high priest. Eventually, they're all going to be wiped out. Well, that day's today. If you think back to 1 Samuel 2.31, this is how it reads. Behold, the days are coming that I'll cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, so there will not be an old man in your house. That's today. Not because of God's word to Eli, but because Abiathar had aligned himself up with Adonai and not with Solomon, and in doing so, it, this has fulfilled God's prophecy. And so as Adonai comes and sets this whole ball in motion, we don't know how long it's been since David died, but Solomon just is on a total cleaning house right here. The news came to Joab. For Joab had defected Adonai, though he had not defected Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, looked for Adonai, and took hold of the horns of the altar. It's kind of hard to pull a sword and defend yourself when you're holding on to the horns of the altar. So he's got to be thinking, man, it worked for Adonai, it's going to work for me. You know, he's trying to get to base in his game of tag here, but the problem is this whole deal, like I said, was never set out to work for a guilty man. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. And Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaniah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No. But I will die here. And Benaniah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus says Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said to him, yeah, Give him what he wants. Strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from, my, from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he. Notice Absalom's missing. And killed them with the sword. Abner, the son of Ner, the commander of... Uh, of the army of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, the com commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it again. No mention of Absalom, as everybody's realizing that it was a hostile takeover. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and on his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. I add, if you walk and obey the ways of the Lord, Solomon, and all other kings. So Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. The king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. So Solomon is really cleaning up the kingdom. He is on, the, on his way of being a man's man. You know, and as I was thinking about this, Joab holding the horns of the altar here, I wonder how many make-believers today are doing the same thing, thinking they're innocent, holding the horns of the altar. When in reality, they've never turned to Jesus as the Lord of their lives. See, Joab thought he was okay, but he's hacked down and put to death. And yet, the only assurance that you and I have that we're saved is if Jesus is the Lord of our lives. That's what it says in the Bible. That, you know, me and Tony were talking about this this few days ago. There isn't anything about in there about a prayer. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. 
If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what it, that's where it says you'll be saved. Lordship. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made in salvation. He's my Lord. It's spoken. Okay, show me. Because James says faith without works is dead. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Yeah, I believe on him, and thus I declare him as Lord. That, that's, that's what it says. And I wonder how many false believers are holding on to the horns of the altar today thinking somehow they're in good shape. The Laodiceans thought that. Then the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem and dwell there. Pretty simple instructions. And do not go out from there anywhere. Don't go anywhere out of Jerusalem. For it shall be on the day you go out and cross the book, Brook Kidron. That's still, you know, you've got to go through it to get out. And the day you cross the Brook Kidron, know for certain you'll surely die. Your blood shall be on your head. Very straightforward. And Shimei said to, to the king, the saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so you sure will do. So Shimei dwelt in Jerusalem. How many days? Many days. You already know something bad's going to happen, right? <laughs> you don't even have to have read ahead. So he puts him under house arrest. Remember his dad had told him to keep an eye on this guy? Solomon must have decided because, you know, hey, I'm going to put this man close by so he can keep an eye on him. I also think this is a good picture of Solomon extending mercy to Shimei. Too bad Shimei doesn't extend the same mercy to his runaway slaves. Then it, now it happened. At the end of three years, that two slaves of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Maakah, the king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shimei rose, saddled his donkey. I guess he decided it was time to die. And went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shimei went and brought his slaves from Gath, who were going to be free really quickly. And Solomon was told that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. And the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, you know, Shimei walks in. It's like, yeah, no big deal, because he has short-term memory loss. Did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, Know for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? Oh. And you said to me, Wow, the word I heard from you is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? As Solomon is going to put him to death for breaking an oath. Notice, to the Lord. That's what it says. And said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord? So he, so in a sense, he, Shimei has broken this oath to the Lord. If you break an oath to the Lord, you're going to go down. And uh, that's what he's doing here. And the king said, moreover to Shimei, you know, so that's why you're going to die. You broke the oath. And the king said, moreover to Shimei, you know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. And that's going to be established forever as long as you obey Solomon. So the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada. We already know what's going to happen here. And he went out and struck him down and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So once all the stuff from the past was dealt with, once the potential takeovers were dealt with, the kingdom of Israel was firmly set up in the hand of Solomon and he is ready to hear from the Lord God. And that would be from the Lord God of his Father. Next week's Bible study. For us, 
Let us be quick as Solomon here to put to death. All these things are going to seek to take us down and destroy us. Okay? As quick as Solomon is to get his kingdom in order and put those things to death, you and I have got to be that quick to destroy the things that want to take take us down. We've got to kill that stuff, and then we've got to pick up our cross daily, and we've got to follow Jesus. It's critical. That's the takeaway. He was quick. Boom. Locked him down. Locked him down. Locked him down. We've got to be quick. We've got to deal with it. Because if you don't deal with it, it's going to take you down. It'll seek to kill you. And then we pick up our cross and we follow. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, we want to be, Lord, those who are seeking to follow after you. Lord, we certainly want to be like David who finishes well. Lord, who literally gave his entire being, Lord, for your kingdom from a young age. That his body was wasted because he served you.